Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the bi-weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hello, Juliet. How are you? I'm peachy. (laughs) Day 379 in the Big Brother house. Oh yeah, definitely. It is actually beginning to drag on a little bit for me, I have to say. Oh, yeah. It definitely feels like that. We, we wake up and it's just Groundhog Day every day. Yeah. Although I felt like March dragged on so long. And then this morning we went out for our one hour of exercise. And uh, I said to Charles, I feel like April has absolutely disappeared. Like, I can't believe how quickly it's gone. I don't feel like it's gone that quickly. Well, I think maybe my descent has been much more rapid since April kicked off because, you know, everyone's joking with the memes and everything like, oh, you know, you won't recognise me when we come out of uh, lockdown. I'm like, yes, because I am getting uglier by the day. Okay. That is not true. It's not a joke anymore. No, do you know what? I can't understand it because, like, obviously there's all the stuff like getting your nails done, getting your lashes done. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. I'm at home. I'm not eating junk food. And I'm not wearing makeup. And I'm breaking out. I'm like, hi. I'm getting younger by the day because I look about 16. But you just might be stressed. Probably, but... Yeah. But I'm always stressed. Yeah, no, but it is a stressful time. Um, It is very stressful to be living through a pandemic. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That is true. I almost forget that that's what's actually happening. But what about you? Now that we're recording weekly, I feel like... I mean, also, we're stuck at home, so there's probably less stuff for us to catch up on in one another's lives. But how's the past week been for you? Pretty good. How are those quarantine abs coming on? (laughs) Not great. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think um, so, like, I was really, you know, very disciplined about working out for the first month of the lockdown. Mm. And I'm still training, but... I'm just focusing more on being stronger, like being faster mm-hmm. rather than my abs, which are very important. <laughs> <laughs> if but, we ever get to go to the beach again, I would love to have some. Yeah, but it's a bit out of my control, right? Because, yeah. you know, I still need to to have comfort food and all of that. <laughs> I'm focusing more on just my general health and fitness rather than getting on the scale and stuff like that yeah 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 no of course also like I don't know if you're anything like me I read a tweet the other day which was like it's important to try your jeans on at least once a week so you know where you stand and I'm like oh absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about I literally put them in a vacuum packed bag and like put them in our storage room yeah might as well because now let's say the hard lockdown ends in like three to four weeks Mm-hmm. even if businesses start opening it's going to be quite gradual anyway mm-hmm. so when it starts to open up gradually you can start trying on your jeans again like you don't need to <laughs> do it right now you've got time you can chill it's true it's true have you read anything good have you watched anything good that we should be checking out I've been watching so much trash. Have you? yeah I mean I watched too hot to handle which is the number one show in the UK on Netflix right now is that like a love island right yeah. I've heard everyone watching it, basically. It's super good. So, I mean, we don't have a Netflix subscription. One thing I'm actually very glad of at the moment is that we don't have TV because I'm a telly addict if there is a TV around. But No, but it's so good. It's very difficult to sort of go into it with somebody who 
haven't watched it because you need to understand the emotion. You have to be drinking a lot. We were drinking a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We were were drinking when we were watching that show. Like, it was was good, but, like, there was a lot of lubrication when we watched that Necessary lubrication, okay. (laughs) Because, like, I, I know that when I've watched Love Island, and actually, even the last season, I probably stopped watching Love Island like fairly early on but what I got addicted to was reading Twitter the next day so I think that a lot of the time with like tv shows be it reality tv or actual just ongoing series dramas I found that what I actually really enjoy is reading everybody else's opinions on it so that's what I I don't know if that's part of too hot to handle as well yeah, it's one of those shows where it's like, it's really all about the memes afterwards. It's all about the banter afterwards. So yeah, I watched that. Another thing that happened to me that was crazy is I'm actually in Piers <clears throat> Morgan's corner right now. He's literally like the only person that's holding the British government accountable right now. So me and my husband, we are like, really like into Piers mm-hmm. Morgan. And I know he's incredibly toxic, but I definitely appreciate what him he's... holding every, yeah what he's saying and him holding everybody accountable from Boris to the health minister like all of these clowns mm-hmm. he's even going after Victoria Beckham for furloughing her employees jeez I didn't know that do you know what's so interesting a few episodes ago probably it was our royal special I remember saying that you know you're not always going to be informed on all topics and there are going to be things that come up these thing I don't have enough information about that but a fairly easy way to know where you stand is to be like well where does Piers Morgan fall on the scale and I'll just say the opposite of what he's saying but you're Mm. absolutely right he has really taken the government to task I wonder if part of that is because he knows he's about to eat shit because of Meghan Markle's lawsuit but I digress. I don't think he's driven by Meghan Markle's lawsuit. Like, I don't think he cares about that. I think... Have you read the text? No, but I don't know what the correlation is between that and his reaction around the coronavirus. No, sorry. I actually... Well, what I was inferring... Little tinfoil cap on. What I was inferring, actually, albeit clumsily, was that basically, if you haven't read this Byline Investigates thing about Meghan Markle, which I strongly suggest you do, it's very, very interesting... The inference is that people like Piers Morgan, Mail on Sunday, Daily Mail, told Thomas Markle. So he was, I mean, we already know that he's incredibly toxic, but they played more of a role in coercing him, like in fabricating the heart attack story, in sending nasty texts to Meghan Markle from Thomas Markle's phone. Mm -hmm. So if you read the Byline Investigates thread on Twitter, at one point the conversation between Thomas Markle and Meghan Markle is so strange and so out of character for Thomas Markle that Prince Harry gets involved and says, Tom, can you please answer the phone? None of these texts sound like you, so I just want to verify that everything's okay. Obviously, we know that Piers Morgan hacks phones, so I love a good conspiracy theory, Juliet. So you think because of that, he's now holding the British government accountable for handling... I don't, because the British government deserve to be held accountable. But I do think that it's incredibly out of character for Piers Morgan to be cracking down on a right-wing government. So I think he saw his opportunity for good press and he's running with it. I'm not sure, because even a lot of the right-wing press is turning against Boris now. Mm. It's, mm. What What's happened now is, you know, just like it's very... Like, who would have thought we'd be living in a pandemic, right? It's yeah. We're in that kind of situation where you will be surprised 
by people's reaction. And we're at the point now where I don't think this can really be a partisan issue. I think it needs to be a mm-hmm. common sense issue. And I think the government should be protecting the people of this country and they're doing awfully. I agree. So I have liked that. It was funny when the health minister was on his show and he was saying, oh, so you're saying that footballers, I think he was saying... Donating they, their salary, wasn't it? Yeah, donating their salaries. And then the government of New Zealand, the MPs had said that we're taking a pay cut. Yes. Right? And so Pierce was like, you're talking about footballers, but you're the government. What are you guys going to be doing? Are you going to be taking a pay cut? And then the health minister says, no, I won't be taking a pay cut. I'm just going to do my job really well. And Pierce is like, but we expect you to do your job really well. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Right. And so, yeah, I think it's important in the sense that Pierce, these are his mates. Mm, yeah okay so you know when he's on an equal footing with them and he can put that heat on them because they're his friends he hangs Mm -hmm. out with them right so I think it's a completely different context to someone from the opposition doing it like when Pierce does it it has so much more impact Mm -hmm. you're hating from inside the club (laughs) yeah he's from he's from inside the club yeah no it is true and that is actually very fair to say and I think that sometimes as well it is a level of discomfort we touched on this last week when we were talking about the left wing versus the right wing that the left i think are happy to tear themselves apart from the inside it is not foreign to us to be criticizing people on our side of the aisle say because they're not virtuous enough or they've mm. had transgressions in the past or whatever the case may be it's a lot more rare i think for people who fall maybe on the more conservative side of things to allow themselves to criticize their representatives. So I do agree. I think that someone like Piers Morgan very vocally taking the Tory government to task gives a lot of other people who are Tory voters the the permission, say, to also say, yeah, actually, I voted Tory, but this isn't what I voted for. Yeah, this is not what I voted for. And not just the government, but then also elites in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully it will trickle down to the point where we look at ourselves You know, how do we vote for a government that's been defunding, divesting, running our National Health Service into the ground Mm -hmm. and then get on our doorsteps and clap? Yes. You know, how does, you know, Victoria Beckham make a video praising NHS workers? But then, I mean, I don't know the state of her business, but Pierce is like, but you're taking money from the government. Like you're putting your employees on this scheme. You're taking money that the NHS desperately needs. Like, it's good to have somebody put the dots together in this way and just make mm-hmm. us think, because that does not happen on British television. No, it's true. Now, I will say, I don't know if you follow Business of Fashion on Instagram. They are a paid-for publication, so I don't actually have a subscription. I only ever get, like, my free article or whatever a week. But I don't actually think that her fashion business is performing that well a lot Mm. of that is speculative but like that it performs and it maybe breaks even but sometimes it doesn't even break even it's just very adored by like certain people Mm. but obviously her price point is so high that even if high street shoppers are admiring it they're not necessarily purchasing from it so not that I still think it's okay but just to contextualize it a little bit I don't know that it is as strong an institution as Say someone like Richard Branson, who has written uh, another letter to... So his first request, for those of you who might not know, he has requested a £500 million bailout from the government for Virgin Air. Um, The first one was denied. And I think Diane Abbott tweeted, no one who doesn't live in this country 
should have the right to be petitioning our government for bailouts. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And I believe he's put through another request, but he's also published a letter, published, quote unquote, put a letter with various bullet points on Twitter where he talks about, you know, I only live in the British Virgin Islands because I love the people, I love the environment here. Something, something, something you know, all of the money from virgin charities or that you pledge to charities actually goes to those charities. <sighs> Ultimately. It's very unfortunate. I think for me, just principally, as an individual, if I don't have my rainy day fund, if my fundamentals, like my personal finance is not together, I'm at risk of losing my home mm-hmm. and losing my stuff as an individual, you know, when the market crashes. So I don't understand why, as an individual, I have to take more personal accountability than a company. Mm -hmm. If your company is not well run enough, according to capitalism, you got to go. You, uh, excuse me, absolutely. You got to go. Like, if we believe in capitalism, yeah, if we believe in capitalism, you've got to go. And the thing about a lot of these big companies is that they still have access to the capital that they need like Richard Branson can get the loans that he needs very cheap. Like he can borrow really cheap and get the loans that he needs to keep his companies going. And I'm sorry, he is so a So why tax does the evader. government have to bail out these companies? Yeah, and he's a tax evader. Uh, are you joking? Like, do you, and I, I just put it, I people, employ some critical thinking here. Yeah, that's the tough part. The tough part is that the public aren't outraged enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the public probably feel he's successful. He deserves a bailout. But, you know, the family across the street don't. Yes. And I think that the issue is that people are, I don't know whether it's societal, whether it's social media driven, if it's a cyclical thing and everyone thinks it to a degree, people get in this like whole, I'm on my grind shit. And they're like, you can't grind your way to a billion, you baby. You can't grind your way you to can't. a billion. I'm, excuse me. You can hopefully grind your way to a secure stable life where you can afford your mortgage repayments and you can send your children to school and you get to go on nice holidays like you are not just grinding to get to a billion you are using fucking offshore accounts Richard Branson is worth 4.2 billion he didn't just get there because of hard work yes hard work played a part but if you think that you can not pay into the system and then still benefit from the system grow up yeah, I mean, that's my view of it, but and I, people think differently. People do think differently. One book that I would really recommend um, that I find so interesting, and Robert Reich also has a couple of different documentaries on Netflix, I believe, because a couple of years ago I watched one of them. I can't even remember what it's called. But anyway, the book that I'm recommending is Saving Capitalism. When I met my husband, my husband was, he always says that I made him more right wing. We have done the tests, the online tests. I am very left liberal. I think sometimes I'm slightly more fiscally conservative than perhaps my husband would be. But Saving Capitalism was a book that we both read and we just, it super resonated with us. You realize- Robert Reich is uh, liberal. He is, yes, you know, he is liberal. But when I met my husband and I was reading a book called Saving Capitalism, he was like, oh my God. But there is a, you know, I think there is a legitimate argument for making sure your citizens have the bare minimum, mm-hmm. um, making the right decisions during a pandemic. There is a pro-capitalist argument yes. for that. 
you know, like I was talking to a friend of mine about um, universal basic income. And then she was saying, oh, you know, you've got a lot of these tech billionaires, you know, that are talking about UBI now. It's 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 something that's coming into like the, the mainstream a bit more. You know, when you think about UBI, you think, oh, my God, that's incredibly left wing. I'm sure they thought that NHS was like incredibly left wing. But there is an argument for making sure your citizens have bare minimum education mm-hmm. and bare minimum health care in order for them to actually go out there and work in your companies and make you yeah. money. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So it's I'm not really anti-capitalism, but I'm definitely anti, you know, what's going on now, which is just not sustainable. Absolutely. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, I could not agree more. Staying within that wheelhouse, did you uh, read the Sunday Times article this weekend taking Boris to task? The thing is, I couldn't afford it because it's it's an ex- it's expensive. It's not free. <laughs> but I saw I saw the highlights. I saw the highlights of that and everybody was posting that on Twitter because in the UK you wouldn't expect the Sunday Times to make such a strong case against Boris and say there needs to be an investigation. Mm -hmm. What do you think is driving that? Because you're into your conspiracy theories. Who did Boris piss off? I love my conspiracy theories. Well, do you know what? The first thing is a couple of people that I'm friends with on Facebook shared it, shared the the kind of bylines of it. And this was Sunday, you know, we had been kind of pottering around all morning, not doing very much. I was on Facebook in the afternoon. I saw the two people who... I'm friends with who shared it. And I said to Charles, let's go for a walk. I want to buy the Sunday Times because I want to read this article and I want to get like the full understanding of it. We live like in a nice area of London, but we live in a very like liberal area of London. I wouldn't say that the Sunday Times, which is stereotypically quite a Tory paper, would ever be sold out here. I went to three shops and I could not get a copy of the Sunday Times. And this was at like half past two, three o'clock. It wasn't like I was going out at 8 p.m. trying to see if I could scrounge up a copy. And so I came home and what I did was actually a lot of people had basically screenshot excerpts. We talk a lot about the No Small Talk Instagram on this podcast because I think they're absolutely phenomenal. They shared a lot of excerpts of it that they had gotten from Twitter and so on. A lot of people were then taking those people to task for sharing the excerpts and talking about how because the Sunday Times exists behind a paywall, unlike things like the Guardian, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, even the New York Times, I think you get a certain amount of articles free with those publications. All of the Sunday Times exists behind a paywall. And so a lot of people were then being kind of eviscerated almost by this right wing media saying, you know, if you share this content for free, you are enabling the kind of decimation of the press and I saw a great tweet you know where someone was saying you should just pay for a subscription to the the Times and the Sunday Times you get two free articles a week off the back of that and someone had retweeted saying unfortunately the other two articles that you'll have to read for free are by either Giles Corrin and someone insulting Muslim transsexuals because they have such a rife history of you know, kind of racist rhetoric and transphobic rhetoric as well. So I thought that that was very interesting. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I read the free excerpts as well. If anyone has a copy of the article, I would love (laughs) to read it in full. And what were your key takeaways? I think it's a little bit like what you said about Piers Morgan. It gets to a point where the errors are so glaring. And now people are talking about, I mean, Italy has had 22,000 deaths off the back of COVID. But... There are plenty of opinion pieces that are saying that 
the UK will far outlap that. At this point, probably publications like the Sunday Times are thinking, well, historically, this is all going to come out anyway. Let us be the publication that, quote unquote, broke this story. Mm. I think it's interesting, again, when we talk about the kind of capture range that something like the Sunday Times has, are a lot of these people who are reading the Sunday Times Tory voters anyway? What do they think? Bumbling Boris has made such a political career for himself out of, the, you know, this act of kind of buffoonery, this bumbling gentle idiot like who couldn't do anything wrong. Is that about to blow up in his face? I don't know. Yeah, and I think what the Tories do well is that they always focus on winning. And if the leader they have is not winning, they find a way to mm-hmm. eject that leader. Yes. So <laughs> that's clearly the mission now. Eject, eject, eject. And I was reading somewhere that um, apparently Rupert Murdoch prefers Michael Gove. I'm sorry. To Boris Johnson. And so I think they're just trying, you know, ultimately we'll still have a Tory government. But yeah, Boris might not. Okay, I feel time. like I'm on crazy pills right now. And I have to say something and you have to let me know if you heard or saw or read anything about it. Did you see the stuff about Michael Gove's daughter and yeah. her TikTok? Yeah. She's living her best life. She's living her best life, okay? So for those of you who didn't see it, I'm sure that it would be... I mean, I'm sure, actually, probably now it would be oh, quite difficult to find to that. See. She's just there's, like a 15-year-old. She's a 15-year-old. However, I think if it was the other side of the aisle and somebody's daughter was putting on her social media, so, like, let's not be, like, oh, her TikTok or her Instagram, mm. like, let's just say, broadly speaking, one social media, if they were putting on that, stop eating bats so I can go outside, there would be hell to pay. Yeah, but I think people have to understand kind of the structure we have in this country, right? So the Tory party are the ruling class. And when Mm -hmm. you are part of the ruling class, people feel like you can do whatever you want. (laughs) So the Tories still have that like edge where they can just do whatever hell they want. They control most of the media anyway. There wasn't even a comment made about that as far no, as... No, nothing, I nothing. I only saw it on Instagram. Somebody sent that to me and we were laughing. But it's not going to make news. But the thing is, it would make news if it were the other side. Like, if you had a Labour politician, Only child. if it was, like, Diane Abbott's child. <laughs> like, Actually, do you know what you are... Sadly, you are probably correct yeah. there. But basically, this this girl, and as you said, she's a 15-year-old, whatever age she is, but she's talking about how much weed she's going to smoke when lockdown is over. She's ready to get turned up after this quarantine, and so am I, so I can't blame her. (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought it was so interesting that that passed without a hiccup. Yeah, but everything, the, the, I mean, the BBC are not commenting on anything. There's no news outside of coronavirus. Every time we watch the news, my husband's like, wow, this country's disgraceful. Yeah, and honestly, like... I wake up to the news in the morning, like that's what my alarm goes off with. And sometimes like it will get to, you know, because obviously you're waking up. It's the first thing you hear. I don't like waking up to like a a shrill beep or anything like that. But sometimes like 20 minutes will pass and I'll be like, hey, did I just because it's almost like it takes a while to sink in. And then I'll be going to my husband. Did I dream it or... Did they say that actually, I think what it was, was that it was on um, the BBC, they talked about having 30,000 tests ready, but like 3,000 were instead. Mm. And 
the newsreader was reading it out in confusion, basically. And she was going, I just want to confirm, this does say 3,000. We have been told that it was going to be 30,000 or 300,000 or something. Basically, the discrepancy was so huge. And it's almost like, just swallow it. And I had a conversation with a friend about this recently, and I'd be interested to know your thoughts because we were talking about, you know, in Hong Kong, basically, at the the height of COVID, when you flew back home, you were fitted with a wristband um, sent to your home. You had to then walk through your whole apartment so that they would have a, a sense so the government would have a sense of the the proximity, the measurements of your living area. And then they would know if you left that living space during your quarantine period. And if you did, you were then removed from your home and you were taken to a specific quarantine centre. And I was saying it's funny because I feel people in the Western world hear that and think, oh, my God, it's like 1984. It's Orwellian. And actually, what's Orwellian is our news cycle, because we have an inability to remember anything beyond 24 hours. I mean, it's, if we talk about that, it's really a privacy It is. Don't get me wrong. Question. I'm not condoning that. but I don't think I have an issue with it in terms of a pandemic. But the challenge that you have is that our civil liberties, our privacy is just like being eroded to like nothing. So countries like China they can really be aggressive and they can like mm-hmm. monitor everything that you do. And there are other countries in Asia where basically they're tracking the virus through people's telephone data. Mm-hmm. And apparently in um, South Korea, let's say you had the virus and then you went to like a public place, then they would like send a text to all these people and saying that you come into contact with somebody that has the virus and then you would be tested. And so that's how they were slowing down the curve. And so... The UK does not have any technology infrastructure. No. Right? But also, I think the UK we have doesn't flippancy. have. Yeah, there's a flip. Culturally, there's just a flippancy, but then also, there's just. Even if the UK said that's what we want to do, the technology does not exist mm, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Right? If yeah. the UK was looking at what Germany's doing and it's like, wow, you know, that's amazing, we want to do that. No, we do not have the diagnostics infrastructure to test at scale in the way Germany has. So I always say on this podcast, what is the UK leading in? Yes. What the hell is going on? The UK is leading in guilt tripping its citizens to now start like donating additional funds to the NHS. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for bringing this up. Can you contextualize this for our international listeners? Oh, my God. It was so funny. Who was I talking to? People all were shocked in my French class. They were like, what what is going on? (laughs) Because now... In our French class, there are people have like traveled. Some of them have gone to like their their countries of origin. So one of the girls is in Russia right now, and she was saying her and her mom were like, "Why are they asking people to raise money for the NHS?" Mm-hmm. Right, and it's really sad because you've got this captain who's Captain Tom Moore. Yeah, Captain Tom Moore, right? Who's raised huge amounts of money, and I think that's amazing. But I think it says a lot about the state of things in this country. Absolutely. You know, I feel like they're trying to create some feel-good factor around the pandemic, you know, and they're exploiting Captain Tom Moore. Uh, A fucking, excuse my language, a hundred-year-old man or however old he is, he's certainly in his hundred now. Going up and down. Wanting to walk a hundred, yeah, times around the garden before his hundredth birthday. So he's nearly a hundred if he's not a hundred yet. Um, excuse me, that is literally barbaric. The fact is that the tax-funded. So we as citizens should be showing our appreciation for the NHS, absolutely. I think the people 
who are on the front lines and not just in the NHS, but the people who are working in our supermarkets and everything like that right now, our essential services are so, so important. However, specifically with the NHS in mind, we are already paying for that Mm. with our taxes. Yeah, I think the challenge I have is if people were contributing because it's a desperate situation, if people were contributing for additional, for like a top Mm -hmm. up, it's fine. But like our essential workers do not have adequate PPE. Yeah. Like the NHS does not have the bare minimum. Yes, it's embarrassing. So it's really embarrassing. We've (laughs) had a Tory government in place for 10 years at this point. Austerity clearly isn't working so when I speak to people and they're talking about like I don't want to pay more in taxes oh but you foresaw an environment where you would have to a run 5k or something for the (laughs) the feel-good factor right and then donate five pounds to the NHS which is our national health service Mm -hmm. and then also I mean I'm guilty for doing the 5k nominate five challenge I mean same but yeah I got nominated four times and you were one of the people who nominated me. So I thought, oh, fucking hell, I really have to do it now. Have you done it now? But you didn't at me. (laughs) No, I didn't put it on social media. Because I felt like I'm decrying this so loudly. But I didn't want to be that person who's like, oh, she thinks she's too good to donate to the NHS. So I just did it and then donated. Okay, Um, okay, cool. But I was annoyed about it, basically, is the point. It's It's disturbing. Yeah, it's sad. I think it's just a sad situation you know, in the UK. And when I watch Macron doing his update mm-hmm. and he has all the receipts, he's taking accountability, he's <laughs> apologizing for mistakes that they've made mm-hmm. and he's giving them a really clear exit strategy. And you're like, wow, like, woof. what must that be like? You know, we have no information really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? it's interesting because I'm interested to see how this sticks. And I was talking to some friends of mine about this, some friends from home. And, you know, I've spoken before about the abortion referendum or the reproductive okay, rights. Okay, you talk about this every week. All, all the time, <laughs> every week. And I may have even made this exact point, but basically the point that we were making is that people have legitimate criticisms about the Irish government that are in place now, specifically with regards to the health minister, Simon Harris, because there have been issues with cervical smears and results not going through and women dying as a result, women not being called for follow-up tests. However, in my mind, he is so, when I think of Simon Harris, I think of the morning that the abortion referendum results came out, that we had voted for free, safe, legal abortion in Ireland, and that he gave an interview to the national media saying, historically, we have told women in crisis pregnancies, take the plane, take the boat. Now, I want to say to women, take our hand, let us help you. And for me, that is solidified in my head as such Mm. a powerful speech. I'm like, oh, I really like Simon Harris. And if someone says to me, oh, why? He did X, Y, Z. I have to actually genuinely think, you're right, he did. I'm interested to see in a Tory government where nothing seems to stick to Boris, Mm. no fucking bus with 350 million per week to the NHS, Mm. nothing like that sticks to him. Will this stick? Will his failings in this arena, will it stick to Trump? He's botched this, but you've still got people protesting saying, my body, my choice, a gross misinterpretation of what that phrase actually means, demanding their right to go out in public again. I think we'll have to see. The only way it does stick is if things get very, very, very bad. So things have to get very bad Mm -hmm. for people to consider an alternative because for all of the missteps, there is no alternative. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Keir Starmer is not out there doing what Piers Morgan is doing. Yeah. Right? If every time Keir had a microphone in front of him, he was putting the government's feet to the fire, right? Oh, yes, strong leader. We have an alternative. That's what Governor Chris Cuomo is doing in New York. And that's Andrew. why people are saying, sorry, Andrew, sorry. That's why people are saying Cuomo for president. Yeah. Because he's mm-hmm. showing an alternative option and Cuomo is not a perfect leader like no. I've got some issues no one's perfect but in this moment he is you know, he's standing up a... and he's emerged and he's leading so mm-hmm. because we don't have that in this country there's no one at any level in the government that we can look to to, to look to to the point where me an immigrant is looking to Pierce Morgan like that's how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. immigrant me right Yes. And that's why I say the left is trash, because, like, we've had austerity for 10 years. We've had had so many issues in this country. There's been so much opportunity to present an alternative, and it just Mm. hasn't been done well enough. Yes. Even in a pandemic, Keir Starmer's just out here being polite, talking about, yeah, we need to know the exit strategy. Yeah. I know. (laughs) We were... I know, and it's tough because... Loser! Like, so my husband and I are both members of the Labour Party and obviously with the two new leaders in place, Angela and Keir, there was a Zoom meeting, basically. Oh, was there a Zoom meeting? There was a Zoom meeting. And I just kept saying to Charles, like, for fuck's sake, I wish that someone had run through a tutorial on how Zoom worked with these people before they did this. Like, just the inefficiency of it. I was so frustrated. Oh my God, was Keir on Zoom? Here was on Zoom. Here was on Zoom being like, can you see me? And I was like, oh, for God's sake! For the first five minutes, he wasn't even on the screen. And I was going, you've got to help me out here. Like, awful, awful. awful. No, come, on. come on, guys. Awful. And just, for God's sake, you, you should know. Then when it was said to him, oh, I think we, we lost you on the screen there for the first little while. He didn't even realise he wasn't on the screen. And I was feeling so frustrated. I was like, oh, Jesus. Because Boris would be on the screen. Boris <laughs> would be on the screen. That's it. And that's like, the society that we live in now. Like, you need to understand technology. You need to be media savvy. You need to be bold. Mm-hmm. You need to be brave. You know, you need to have the receipts. You know, and if you don't have those things, like, I don't blame people for not voting for you. No, and that's it. Like My friends, right? My friends, I've got friends who are in politics, right? We need to get Keir Starmer on this podcast. He needs to explain what's going on. But also just small little things like Angela Reno then, who is obviously recovering from COVID at the moment, is like... <coughs> and I was just going to my husband, does she know that she can just mute her mic? Does she know that she can mute her mic when she needs to cough? Like, I just... Like sneezing, I was getting so frustrated with it because it's just like, let's present ourselves like we know what we're doing here, please. Well, clearly they don't. Clearly they don't. And some people would say, well, you know what, that's not high on my list of priorities. And you're right. I don't need someone to have a PhD in Zoom communications. But at the same time, like, know how you're presenting yourself in terms of professionalism. It's critical now. I think we're in a situation where we're in a lockdown. It's very critical for you to be able to get online and speak to your constituents. Mm -hmm. And you should definitely be able to speak to paid members of your party. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's an excuse for that. I definitely um, was supporting Keir. I thought he was great, liked his politics. um, And I thought that he would be a good leader. But it's like, 
He's not showing up. But I mean, Angela Merkel is really killing it for Western Europe. Angela Merkel is killing it. Actually, there is a great Atlantic article that we will post in the show notes about why they think or why we think Angela Merkel or Angela Merkel is killing it. And it's because she's a scientist is basically what they've said. So she is groomed to believe statistics, evidence, whereas we have Boris Johnson who studied classics. I think there's two ways, because with Angela Merkel, she leads with statistics and facts, and she's mm-hmm. got a PhD in quantum physics, right? So mm-hmm. she is a brilliant woman. But then you've got someone like Jacinda that leads with empathy. There are so yes, many examples true. right now of women leaders who are doing an amazing job, and mm-hmm. they all have very different leadership styles, and they all have very different backgrounds. So... I don't think it's about like studying classics. I think it's just about no, not, giving, not giving a shit. <laughs> like, However, I do think that a lot of the times women will make sure that they have everything in their back pocket. Do you mm. know what I mean? Is that like we all or most people, I think, know that that statistic of women, if they don't fulfill one mark of the criteria for a job application, won't apply for it because they don't think they're qualified enough. Men will think, yeah, I bet I could learn it. And we'll just put themselves forward. Yeah, for sure. There was a a woman leader could not get away with what Boris is doing. Could not get away with inaction. No. Look at the the health minister in Scotland. She messed up and she had to go. She had to go and she went immediately. Yeah, I agreed. I felt I was like very irritated with her going to her country house in a lockdown. But it shows you that women cannot get away with this type of behaviour, unfortunately. Absolutely not. And yes, you're right. I was irritated with her going to her country house. But when I compare her going to her country house and Boris going out and shaking people's hands, because he was like, that's just what we do. Yeah, it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. The only person who, I mean, there are ripple effects to the, the health minister in Scotland. Absolutely. But Boris took an active role in endangering other people as well as himself got COVID and we're just like oh god a brave man yeah and I think um, a friend of mine was saying how Boris catching COVID is probably his get out jail card yeah oh 100% but yeah I'm kind of done with that um moving on <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with that moving on to our, our first listener question please Phoebe our first listener question. Oh, yes. So we had a listener question. We've actually had two come in this week. But the first one that came in was with regards to a show that's on Netflix at the moment called Black AF. And I think the question in particular was directed to you, Jules, to get a sense of what your feelings were on the, the show. I've not watched it myself, but I am familiar with Blackish, which I have watched, which actually was on Amazon Prime, which is why I've seen it. <laughs> Um, yeah so I'm not watching this show I'm not into this show just have no energy for that show I have no energy for its creator so I guess to draw you out a little bit further I think one of the critiques that's been put to both blackish mixedish grownish yeah and now black af as well is that while they talk about basically I guess an african-american family and their stories and that kind of drama series that it is quite colorist in in nature or that there is a lot of issues pertaining to colorism within the various storylines of the show. So, I mean, it's not something that I can speak to with any great authority, but I think it's interesting in terms of the context of employing critical thinking when we read and absorb these things. Our listener and myself are interested in your thoughts. 
Yeah, I don't know if people are familiar with the concept of the brown paper bag test. No, what's the brown paper bag test? So basically in the US back in the day, there was this thing called the brown paper bag test. Mm -hmm. And if you were lighter than the brown paper bag, you were like socially acceptable. So if you go to a lot of, yeah, if you go to like a lot of historically black institutions, like sororities and stuff, or people in, you know, the professions, you'll see sometimes that they are a lighter shade, right? right? So you've got like the brown paper bag and like that would be, you know, even to like get into a sorority, like you might not be able to get in if you were like darker than the bag, right? the brown paper bag. This is like, it's very complex and like long winded and I'm quite tired. So I don't really have the energy to go into all of the nuances of it. But if you look at blackish, there's literally like a brown paper bag test. It's like all of the shows like that this guy creates, there's a specific type of image that they're pushing on that show. Right. And that's across all of the shows now, which is why I think now that Black AF has come out, people are over it. Mm-hmm. Like people are really over, especially from a, a female perspective, like people are over the only Black women you're seeing on TV have to be light skin or have to be mixed race and Mm -hmm. that is what's representing like black women when you know black people are so much more diverse Mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of why people are like a little bit tired yeah I guess that's fair I I, again when we talk about employing that critical thinking I think that we sometimes take diversity at face value and as you said black people exist in a range of different colors and different like intensities that we are as white people for example we can say on a very top level oh yeah that's a diverse cast but as you're at the point you're making is that that isn't necessarily the case and we need to maybe take the time to look a bit deeper into it yeah absolutely and then you know even when you have like on blackish where you have like the daughter who is darker skinned right like she's not mixed race and it's like they're caricature so she's like more sassy and more this and it's like it's one big stereotype right okay. so after a while it's like what's going on here like even this black af thing one of the youtubers i follow this is an african-american channel i follow on youtube and he's like this is a caricature like this is not like we're done like who mm. it's basically packaging what black culture for right like who is this show targeted at mm-hmm. like who is the target audience for this show so it's packaging black culture for mass consumption and it's leaning on all these stereotypes it's pushing colorism Mm -hmm. and it's like all right we're tired and it's just not that good so (laughs) if it was like really good great but it's like not even that good right Um, and it seems to be well from what I've read about it it seems to be a reiteration of the themes that are already being done in blackish anyway but now the idea is that the producer of blackish has gotten to put himself as the main character in the show yeah and I think like you've got a new wave of sort of young black actresses coming up and someone like Zendaya is great in the sense that she acknowledges her privilege you know she's biracial and you know the way that she looks obviously creates more opportunity Mm -hmm. than if you know she looked different so there's nothing wrong with you having a platform but let's not kind of deny what's going on and so I definitely give someone like Zendaya like so many props right for that and the other actresses that kind of like acknowledge that I remember there being quite a funny thing about when Black Panther was being filmed and I think it's Amanda Steinberg. It's Steinberg, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. And she said that she didn't feel that it would have been right to 
put herself forward for a role in that because she was biracial. I think a lot of the subtweets that she got on that particular statement was no one would have asked you anyway because how would a biracial person have existed in Wakanda when they've basically kept... Yeah, but Ryan Coogler, the director, was like, I wanted Letitia Wright. That's who I wanted. Right, okay. Right? So he was like, no, like... I had a vision and I got what I wanted, right? So, you know, and that's why things like Black Panther and shows like Insecure, like people get so hyper about those shows because it's like, wow, like we actually get to see something different. Mm -hmm. Not a diluted version. Yeah, and I think there's absolutely a space for something like Blackish and all of that stuff, but it's like it can't be the only thing on television, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what leads to, you know, this really sad video that was like, that went viral on Instagram a few weeks ago now, a couple of months ago, where you had this like little girl who was like very young, like four years old, dark skin, getting her hair done. And then she catches herself in the camera and she's like, I'm so ugly. Mm-hmm. Oh right. my God, that was actually Did so you that? upsetting. Yeah, it was so upsetting. It was so sad. So it's like, come on, guys. The reason why she feels that way is because people, I mean, something like that at such a young age, I mean, something is going on at home. So her parents are clearly not uplifting her, right? But also all the images that she sees, Mm-hmm. You know, nothing that's beautiful that looks like her is being reflected back at her. Right. And so I mean, I am not down with colorism, guys. I'm not down <laughs> and with it. To be it. clear, when I said a diluted version just there, I obviously don't mean to. I what I mean when I say that is that we put forward a more sanitized version, or that a more sanitized version is put forward to appeal to a greater audience, i.e., a white audience like myself, because while we might be talking about the black or the african-american experience we want to make it so that white people will enjoy it as well and i think that if things like that are always put together with a white audience in mind it ultimately dilutes the message it's not to say that someone who is biracial is diluted in nature because i was immediately conscious of how those words could be misinterpreted oh not about that no because i think there's place for everyone but I think if we look at the whole like blackish franchise I mean in mixed dish you've got is it Tika Stumper oh I don't know I've not watched it so you've got a dark skin actress on mixed dish right in a mixed race relationship and then they originally I think cast her mum as light-skinned oh and then people were like what the hell is going on like it's like this casting is very weird. Like, what <laughs> There's is no continuity. On? Like, you can't have two dark-skinned women in one show, I guess. And, mm. um, you know, and then you have, if you have Tika Stumper, who's a dark-skinned woman, you know, it has to be mixed-ish. You know, you can't have a black family. Right. You cannot have a black family. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever watched This Is Us. Yeah. One of the tropes that I was not aware of, again, as a kind of a passive consumer of a lot of these shows is that, and you kind of alluded to this point earlier, that it can be a darker skinned man, but invariably his wife or his partner will be a lighter skinned woman because... It has to be light skinned or white. Mm. Why? Why, guys? Again, we've spoken about, I've already said critical thinking a couple of times in in this particular episode, but Mm. it it does behoove us to question that, to ask why and have we considered that and have we dived into it or explored it? Yeah, for sure. That was a very deep listener question. Is there anything Mm -hmm. else that's a bit more fun? Um, One question that we had, and I don't know that we'll be actually fit to answer it, to be honest, because I haven't watched the programme in question and I don't believe you will have either. But 
all the same, it would be interesting to kind of touch on it. We received a question about a TV show that was on, I don't know if you've watched First Dates, have you? It's on Channel 4. Yeah, and it's got the the French maitre d'. Oh, yeah, I have. (laughs) He was launching a new program on BBC Two called The Restaurant That Burns Calories or something like that. And so it was a restaurant which is exploring the relationship between food and the calories that we consume and how long it takes to burn them. And basically, this was sent to us by a listener who was posing the question of how dangerous is this basically for people who struggle with disordered eating and why are we sending this message of food is not fuel it's only fuel if you burn it off so you've got i think my understanding is and please feel free to get in touch with this guys that you've literally got like exercise bikes in this restaurant basically (laughs) and now i could have done a complete bastardization of the interpretation of it but that was my understanding from seeing the adverts that were playing on social media so you mentioned last week that you were looking for people to keep you in line, <laughs> looking for people to stop you eating the bread. To be honest, I would be all about going to that restaurant. I don't have an issue with it. I think it's super convenient <laughs> to have an exercise bike as my dessert. So, um, no. Okay, it's complex because food is so psychological and it's very, very, very difficult. It's not an easy topic and I think people should be free. But then I also think that it's okay to be disciplined about what you eat yeah you know understand nutrition understand that you know I'm five foot three I cannot eat 2,000 calories a day I can't Mm. it's not good for me my body cannot be digesting food all day long well I think also part of this is like we as women and this is almost probably too late in the the episode for us to be diving into this but I think that we as women walk such a such a narrow path anyway it's Mm. we're supposed to be consumed with our physical appearance and always be immaculate I obviously said it already in this episode like I'm uglier than ever because Mm. I haven't had a facial I haven't got my nails done you know all of the above I gave myself my first ever bikini wax actually at the weekend (laughs) um that at least is quote unquote, under control. But I think that part of the whole mystique, right, is that we're supposed to be immaculate all the time, but we're not supposed to put in any effort for it. And, you know, when you talk about being disciplined and your height and that it's not healthy for you to have 2000 calories a day, I think that part of that is driven by the fact that you also want to look a certain way. There are certain clothes that you want to wear. There's a style that you want to fit and you should be allowed to if that's what you want to do right yeah I think that there needs to be space for people to look good and feel good regardless of what they look like yeah there's also just a health aspect so a part of me is look and image but then a part of it as well is like if I just eat junk food like all day I just don't feel good yeah and and I I think that I think that when we talk about the health aspect what we also have to acknowledge within that conversation is that a TV show about restaurants on BBC Two is not teaching anyone about health. Like there's not the yeah. there's not the time in an hour long episode. And there yeah. probably isn't like the psychological aspect of like speaking to people as human beings to actually teach anything about health in that. That type of format is appealing to people's fear and anxiety. Yeah. Right. <laughs> What I would like to see is just giving people control. Like, I've had to teach myself about food as an adult. 
yes like an understanding like what's in food and when I look at food now it's not about like the calories like a big part of it is like the nutrition Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what am I actually getting out of this food am I getting enough protein am I getting enough fiber so my body can function in the way that I want my body to rather Mm -hmm. than okay cool let me have uh, two slices of pizza because it's below the calorie count like that for lunch yeah so it's um (laughs) it's a little bit tricky because I'm not one of these people that's like oh uh what do they call it intuitive eating I'm not one of those people I'm just like try to understand what you like what's good for you because Mm -hmm. everyone's body is different it's very deep because it's also emotional and psychological and stuff but like there's just a factual thing going on here guys and like you need to take care of yourself. You need to be able to like run a mile because mm-hmm. you never know when you have to run away. Mate, we were listening to <laughs> World War Z over the past week. I don't know if you've read it. Um, they obviously did a film with Brad Pitt, which was great. <laughs> but the book by Max Brooks is super interesting. I actually think that you as a non-fiction reader, a lot of the time, you would actually love it because basically the premise of World War Z, the book is that the zombie apocalypse has taken place, but it's done as like a historical roundup. So which governments, which countries, which Mm. economies survived it? So what happened in North and South Korea? How did Israel and Palestine overcome the zombie apocalypse? Like all of these little things where it's like anecdotal evidence of, well, this is why we overcame. This is the the South Africa plan. This is this, this is that. Mm. We listened to it and it was probably the wrong thing to do because Charles and I were like, okay, so what's the plan? <laughs> like, we were very like... <laughs> yeah, and that's what's, that's what's crazy, guys. Like, it's, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, Charles was there going, we just have to charter a boat and sail back to Ireland. And I was like, where are we getting a boat from? And he was like, oh, we're just going to hike to Wales. And I was like, oh... I will just straight up kill myself straight away before I live off the land. Like before I'm like, oh, we'll hike to Wales. Then we'll we'll get a dinghy and then we'll sail to Ireland and then we'll get to your family on the West Coast. Nah. No, but this is how people live. Like people like the super rich, they have their their private bunkers. Mm. You know. Absolutely. If things get real, they have their bunkers, they have their private planes, they have their private ambulances, and they mm-hmm. have their private services basically. And those of us out here, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're screwed because also there is no part of me that is ready to live off the land. Well, you better I get live... ready, girl. You better For... learn on YouTube. <laughs> no, I live an absolutely pampered life. Oh, it's over. I have very nice slippers on right now. You think I'm hiking to Wales? There's only two options. It's all or nothing. Yeah, that's it. It's like, you need to go and find some rich relatives that's got a plane. Mm -hmm. And you need to be on that emergency contact list when when shit goes down. You think Um, you can find the non-poisonous berries? (laughs) Absolutely. send that. Send that link to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, guys. Check it out. It's on Audible, but if you want to read it yourself, I have to say, Audible, for me, can be so hit or miss. But with World War Z, what they've done is, in a really charming way, they've actually gotten different voice actors for each chapter. So you have, like, a South African voice, you have an Israeli voice, like, all of this kind of stuff. So it allows you to immerse yourself if you're just doing things around the house. Could not recommend more. But, yes, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Send us your listener questions. Let's have some fun ones because 
I can't be talking about the brown paper deck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> you can't make Jules keep talking about the brown paper bag. She can't keep educating us. I before. can't. I can't. Send me some fun questions. Relationship questions. Who's killing their partners in lockdown? Oh, my God. All right. So next week, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about mm-hmm. people with side families. Oh, my God. Do not. That's what we're going to talk about next week. So tune in for that, guys. We've at Jules Phoebe. We'd love to hear from you and share the podcast with a friend. Please do. If you get a chance to review us, that would be amazing as well. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye. Bye.